The Lake District National Park has 12 million visitors a year and is a vital contributor to Cumbria's billion-pound economy. It also has 42,000 people who are resident there, attempting to bring up families and make a living. So opinions on what matters most in the day-to-day -day management of the Lake District are many and varied. Here are just four. Sue Savage works in conservation. I tried to do the numbers once on how many sort of footsteps 12 million visitors would take in the mountains and given that every walker will walk an average of one mile in the hills that's billions of footsteps and that's all causing tiny little bits of problems. Ted Walsh is chairman of the Windermere Motorboat Racing Club. I think it's fair to say that the National Park Authority and the officers within it have a very twee view of what heritage is. To them heritage is waxing lyrical on the side of a fell side somewhere about some daffodils and uh, reading a story about a rabbit. And that's pretty much the National Park summed up in a bucket. Jonathan Hodgson is a hill farmer. I don't think farming's appreciated at all, because um, if you go into any of the restaurants, how many of them sell local produce? You know, how many of the hotels and bed and breakfast places sell local produce to, to the tourists? None of them. You know, they're in the middle of a, a sheep-producing area and they'll have New Zealand lamb on the menu. And Jeff Cowton is curator of the Wordsworth Trust. We've got um, a great thinker, a great writer in the centre of the Lake District, which attracted great artists. It's a wonderful cultural moment and it's so relevant to, to today's world, you know. I mean, those words are talking about the age of, of the individual, of the imagination, of revolutions, of the importance of the interdependence with the world around us. Well... Why isn't that relevant to any generation? In the Lake District, all these different sets of heritage values are jostling with each other. The Wordsworth Trust's set of values sees the Lake District primarily in cultural terms. It was in the Lake District that Wordsworth wrote much of his best-known work, which was to profoundly influence how we now perceive the landscape. In 1820, he published a series of poems on the River Duddon, and he appended to that uh, his Guide to the Lake District. And I think that the ideas and really the notions that we have of the Lake District are so shaped by him that we, we just almost don't notice anymore. Because in the guidebook that he wrote, um, he famously concludes by saying that the Lake District should be thought of as a national property, where uh, people have an eye to see and a heart to perceive can benefit from it. And to words with it's such a precious place, such a unique place, uh, that this idea, of course, then develops into the National Trust and the National Park, and the, you know, the founder of the National Trust uh, lived in Grasmere. Grasmere and the Lake District are just very much so closely linked to Wordsworth's ideas of, of the land and people's association with the land that I think we do take so much of it for granted without realising that it's Wordsworth notions you know, that we're thinking of. Few would dispute that the legacy of writers and artists such as Wordsworth still has enormous resonance, as his visitor to Wordsworth's cottage suggests. Oh, I think it's a case of in your youth you get a book of Wordsworth's poems and you put it in the back pocket and you walk over Red Bank and you go into Grasmere, then you, you're sort of, you're, you're into Wordsworth, and then as Turner comes in your life, as he did when I was about 15 and 16, it's a long time ago, 70-odd years of Turner, I think it's, uh, it's all gelled together with the lakes. And of course, it's great scenery. Wow. But while the scenery still retains much of the character observed by such writers and artists, 
Jeff Cowton acknowledges that interest in Wordsworth among younger tourists is declining, and that in turn is reflected by his visitor numbers. When I started in the 80s, it was regularly 80,000 a year, and at one point we got to 88,000, you know. And every day, you know, I remember at 4 o'clock, there would be two of us of 40 American Texans would turn up, you know, every day. And, like, that was just what you did, you know, you couldn't pass by. Whereas now the visitors are probably down to 60,000. There just aren't, if you like, the people that they used to be for whom coming to Grasmere was a pilgrimage of life. And, and that's okay, we have to accept that. You know, he's not, he's not studied at school like he used to be. We don't have a right to expect everybody to read words. We don't have a right even to exist. We have to, we have to justify it. But by goodness, I mean, what a man to justify, you know. Just to the south of Grasmere, in Bowness, the issues for Ted Walsh are rather different to those of the Wordsworth Trust. He's an active parish councillor, but more significantly, he's also chairman of racing at the Windermere Motorboat Club. In 2005, the National Park Authority introduced a speed limit of 10 miles an hour on Lake Windermere. This effectively banned powerboat racing and water skiing altogether, as apparently incompatible with the National Park's policy of quiet enjoyment of the area. Since then, Ted Walsh and the Keep Windermere Alive group have been campaigning to bring back these activities. They feel that the National Park Authority has pushed its conservation agenda too far. There's a great deal of belief that, in reality, 10 miles an hour is nothing to do with tranquillity. It's nothing to do with improving the amenity of an area. But it's more to do with squashing 20 million visits a year out of the National Park by removing a user group who would come and come regularly. And that's pretty much, there's an awful lot of belief that that is why it was actually done. Ted Walsh feels that too much emphasis is placed on Wordsworth and Beatrix Potter. The broader scope of it is is that the National Park is far more than that. Uh, and as we're at the Motorboat Racing Club, I would say that um, Donald Campbell on Coniston is as much a part of the National Park as any other part of the country. I would say that uh, Norman Buckley doing his speed records on Windermere was an, is an important part of things like that. And I would say that there's a significant chunk of the heritage of Windermere which has been um, brushed aside. People who live in the area, and certainly um, who have come into the area, um, typically are there to enjoy the facilities of it and they don't really like them being taken away carte blanche really for the benefit of not a lot of people. Yet another set of heritage values sees the Lake District in terms of its natural heritage. I spoke to a mountaineer and regular visitor to the lakes. For him, part of the attraction of the area is being able to experience nature in the raw. When you live in a city and you get up into the lakes, the terrain is, is stunning. I love the ruggedness of rocks and the physical challenge of getting up them. I love the fresh air. I like the wildness of it. You feel as though you're really in the wilds of nature, which is so different to what you do in your day job, and it is just really excellent. Many visitors come to the lakes to get a first-hand experience of nature, but in such numbers, visitors can be a threat to the very thing they value. Susan Denyer is Secretary of ICOMOS UK. She sees this process as part of a very long tradition. In the end of the 19th century, when many tourists were visiting the area and it was becoming vulnerable from threats of one sort or another, the conservation movement evolved to try and arrest these threats and sustain these wonderful things that the artists and writers had discovered a century earlier. 
One of the modern descendants of this conservation movement is the Tourism and Conservation Partnership. It's run by Sue Savage. The, the problem with the paths in the Lake District is, is partly to do with years of decline, um, nearly 50 years of, sort of lack of maintenance that we've got to catch up on, really. I met her on Catbells, which is one of the most visited sites in the National Park and one where the paths need constant maintenance. Um, what, what we're looking at now is a stone gully that's been laid at an angle across the path. It's about four or five inches deep and lined with big rocks to the, sort of the top and the bottom of it. And the idea here is obviously that it's going to channel the water off to the, the side. In order to do the necessary work, Sue Savage has involved a number of different organisations. The National Park Authority, who manage the land, the National Trust, who own the land, and a local company called Keswick Mountain Bikes. We go out and recruit businesses who want to put something back into the environment and we find a project for them to sponsor. And in this case, the mountain bike shop in the village wanted to sponsor something that was directly related to its own business. So we found them this path here that needed fixing. It was terribly eroded and quite overgrown. And what they do is they, they sell inner tubes as one of their products and of course they sell millions of them in a year and for every inner tube that they sell they give one pound of the of the profit towards the maintenance of this path and of course it pays them off because they're all their riders will use it and no doubt burst their inner tubes on it <laughs> yes well that's true enough i've had a puncture at the bottom myself <laughs> but what you haven't done is just made a tarmac mini road which presumably there's thinking about that too why you wouldn't do that no we we will always try to sort of rebuild the path so it's in sympathy with the landscape but even this which has got a sort of um a stone surface a sort of very small stone hardcore surface even though this is local stone it's we've dug it out of the ground and just relaid it and then footsteps have packed it down but it's gray and the the surrounding is green and the and the bracken, um, and even that some people object to. They call it disnifying the Lake District. I suppose that's interesting because it raises the whole question of maybe what hardcore conservationists would say is that it, why on earth are you working with all these tourism agencies? You're kind of supporting <laughs> the fact getting more and more tourists. What would you say to that? That that's always the. I think somebody called that living with the enemy. Is that we're kind of in, we're by maintaining all of the this beautiful landscape we're inevitably bringing more people into it but the, the flip side of that is that I think most businesses in the Lake District they, they understand that there's a, there's a direct link between an enhanced landscape and an enhanced profit margin if you like to put it in very basic terms. Many of the paths and dry stone walls that run all over the Lake District were originally created by farmers Today's hill farmers do much to maintain the land as they care for the flocks of Herdwick sheep that dot the landscape. In return, the government subsidises their income with environmental payments. Jonathan Hodgson is one of a large family of hill farmers. We make a living, so we're, we're doing all right, but uh, without environmental payments and single farm payment, Actually, producing livestock wouldn't make any money at all, I wouldn't think. There wouldn't be any farmers at all without them. Um, traditional hill farming is there's a lot of work replacing walls, um, gathering and stock clearing and all this sort of thing. Take a lot of time and effort and manpower. But I don't think the ESAs are over-subscribing to us. I think uh, we well deserve them, really. 
but the average age of a hill farmer is now 58, and their numbers are dwindling fast. Terry McCormick of Volunteer Action Cumbria is working on a project to document their history. It's never been done with hill farming. It's never actually been done. It's a bit like a sort of doomsday book approach. Let's list these farms. Let's describe them. They're gems. Let's, let's catalogue them, if you like. Uh, and that might sound a bit kind of like backward, but it has to be done. We need to know what the inventory is in order to defend it and to work with it. Terry McCormick sees the hill farmer's way of life as heritage in the making. You can have a whole strand of cultural tourism which would be really specific, engaged, truly educational, and would add value back to the farms and then broaden it to the wider communities. Nobody has a sense of self-interest or engagement with the hill farming sector, which has been sort of under pressure and in decline and under threat for many, many years. And I do think that we have to manoeuvre people or create situations where people can genuinely appreciate just how important that is to them and their future and their kids. Susan Denyer spent many years working for the National Trust in Cumbria. She believes it's vital to appreciate how the conservation movement has in the past worked to protect the landscape that hill farming created. Large parts of the central Lake District around Coniston, for instance, wouldn't be there at all today had not uh, people intervened to stop the whole valley being bought by the Forestry Commission. And they would have abandoned the farms and planted it all up with trees. And it was only because of battles like that that this landscape has been saved. So we're looking, in a way, at a, a huge testimony to the success of the conservation movement. Lake District would not look as it does today had the conservation movement not been so successful in stopping this development and buying up land, in the case of the National Trust, to allow people to continue to appreciate the sort of landscapes that had been discovered, if you like, in the 18th century. So the Lake District has many different agendas, not all of which can be easily reconciled, but perhaps it's that very clash of values that helps to maintain the area's enduring depth and appeal. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.